Hi everyone, welcome back to Fire and Num Film, and today I'm bringing you two reviews for some new films, some new horror films that are currently playing in UK cinemas. The first is a film called The Night House. So The Night House, from director David Bruckner, reeling from the unexpected death of her husband, Beth is left alone in the lakeside home that he built for her. She tries as best as she can to keep it together, but then nightmares come. Disturbing visions of a presence in the house calling to her, beckoning her with a ghostly allure. Against the advice of her friends, she begins digging into her husband's belongings, yearning for answers. What she finds are secrets both strange and disturbing, a mystery she's determined to unravel. The Night House stars Rebecca Hall, Sarah Goldberg, Bondi Curtis Hall and Stacey Martin. Here is a trailer for the film. Do you guys believe in ghosts? I think there's something in my house. My husband took the boat out on the lake. He took a, a handgun that I didn't even know that we owned and... Did he leave a note? He did. You were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. You said you were safe? Safe from what? You know that we're paying people to do that, right? You don't have to do it all yourself. Owen? I didn't think we had secrets. Everybody has secrets. It's our house. But backwards. What the hell was he doing? The night house starts following the events of Owen's suicide. Beth is wallowing in grief, watching back home videos of the two of them together. She tries to get on with or back to her normal life, but ends up suffering from what appear to be demonic dreams or visions where music is played at insanely loud volumes. She sees dirty and then bloody footsteps coming from the lake outside her house. And she even sees what looks to be a reversed version of her own house on the other side of the lake. 
The story continues to unfold as we and Beth find out more about a supposed double life that Owen had lived involving women who look a lot like Beth. And as their neighbour Mel describes, Owen was living with urges that he was seemingly satisfying with these women and whatever it was that he was doing on the other side of the lake. There's no denying Rebecca Hall does a sterling job here, but there's a couple of times where I found myself questioning why her character so easily went along with the frankly far-fetched and supernatural elements of the narrative. There is an imaginative jump scare motif used all the way through the film of this half-seen shadow or face that must be some kind of CGI or camera construction, but it's ultimately one of the things that hit the light bulb in my head, and that was that this film owes a huge debt to the James Wan and Lee Whannell canon of films. Now, I had constant Invisible Man vibes. So the 2020 Lee Whannell version of The Invisible Man, these lingering open frames where we're not sure if there's something there or not, the unseen antagonist that we become aware may be lingering, there's no kind of slight shadow or shape to show us where the horror is. But in research and in kind of retrospect and thinking about it afterwards, that is a little bit of an unfair comparison because more than likely the productions of both of those films, The Invisible Man that was released in 2020 and The Night House, which was released in 2021, would have crossed over at some point because The Invisible Man was released in February 2020 and was shot in July and September of 2019. Whereas The Night House, even though it was only released in 2021, it was actually shot in May of 2019. So those comparisons are a little bit laboured. So maybe, perhaps, the James Wan reference is a stronger link here because The Night House occasionally replicates the aesthetics of James Wan's films. So things like Insidious, The Conjuring, with the cinematography, such as the aforementioned open frames, yes, they are featured in Wanell's film of The Invisible Man, but they're also featured in one's back catalogue as well, allowing your mind to question what it's seeing, encouraging your eyes to scan each and every segment of the frame. The score, or perhaps more specifically, the use of the score, hits beats where it completely cuts out. So again, allowing your mind to fill in the blanks. If you're listening to a score and you know that a score is playing in the background of a film or a scene and all of a sudden that cuts out, your mind then wanders into what's going to happen here. It's not clear whether the director, David Bruckner, has referenced the work of Juan and Monell as being influential in the press notes, but he does say this. Many of Bruckner's all-time favourite films are themed around a strong and complicated female protagonist. Bruckner says, I love that you can use cinematic conventions to portray the inner workings of a character's psyche. Being unable to understand what's real is simply more frightening than the thing that's out to get you. He was most influenced by films such as Repulsion, Black Swan, Personal Shopper and The Babadook. I also found a lot of inspiration from great horror novels like Turn of the Screw and House of Leaves, both of which deal with similar kinds of madness. Now, to me, I think as well, there is a debt, again, as I've mentioned, to these one and one L films and that style of filmmaking and that style of horror cinematography more specifically. So as I've kind of alluded to, a lot of the horror in the night house is left to your own mind and your own interpretation, which brings me to a point about the film's finale, 
which I'm going to try and tread as lightly as possible and as spoiler-free as possible. So beware that if you want to go in into this film completely blind, just beware that there might be something that you may or may not want to hear in this bit. So the film's final 30 minutes go full conjuring. And what I mean by that is it goes full-on demonic possession type stuff, that sort of lifting a body off the ground, all these kind of weird things happening. It begins to become an allegory for mental health, for depression, and for the other dark thoughts that are associated to those similar mental health troubles. Whether intentionally or not, I pulled some messages from it. Some were heavy-handed, some weren't. It's also the part of the film that, to be honest, took me out of the tension a little bit because I found that the revelations were a bit contrived. But with hindsight, I don't know what else could have been an adequate closure to the narrative. What I'm basically saying there is I had trouble with the ending. I thought the ending, I've already used the word far-fetched, but I think it took it to a whole other level of being far-fetched but I don't know how else they would have ended it. I don't know what to me would have been an adequate ending if they'd gone for something other than what they what you end up with in the night house. So overall, in terms of the night house, I think it's a fine chiller to go back to a word and a term that I used on the Jordan Peele podcast where I think it's a mix of horror and a psychological thriller. So I like to refer to them as chillers. Grounded by a solid performance from Rebecca Hall. I'd recommend it if you're a fan of general horror and films such as The Conjuring, Insidious, things like that. Maybe even the Jordan Peele ones, but this isn't as groundbreaking, I would say, as those ones, but it's still a good horror film for you to watch. The second film that I'm going to review in this podcast is Censor. So in the film, we follow the character of Enid, whose job is to censor films. So she takes pride in her meticulous work, guiding unsuspecting audiences from the deleterious effects of watching gore-filled decapitations and eye gougings that she pours over. Her sense of duty to protect is amplified by her guilt over her inability to recall details of the long-ago disappearance of her sister, who was recently declared dead. When Enid is assigned to review a disturbing film from the archive that echoes her hazy childhood memories, she begins to unravel how this eerie work might be tied to her past. Here is a trailer for the film. This depiction is dangerous. Come on, Enid. I'm cutting it. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, high-dent investment films. Maybe Enid could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina. My sister. You know, if someone did take her, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. I was wondering if you had anything else than this actress. What's going to happen to her? That's top secret. 
people think that I create horror. Horror is already out there in all of us. Admittedly, having now just watched that trailer back, I'm wondering if I have been a bit too harsh on Sensor, but I'm going to come to what I mean by that in just a second. I have... When I I first wrote my review, and you'll understand my stumbling over my words when I get to this point, I thought I had less to say about Sensor than I did about The Night House, and I think it's actually now flipped. I think I have more to say about Sensor. And... There might be a reason for that. So the early part of the film, as it kicks off, is filled with intrigue around how Enid is able to distance herself from the brutality of the films that she's watching with some of the people closest to her questioning how it is that she's been affected by it or how she handles how she's been affected by seeing certain things. Clearly, she's not come to terms or not fully come to terms yet with what happened to her sister. Her parents try to enforce closure, but this just causes Enid to spiral into this kind of manic chaos, which begins to reflect her state of mind, especially after she's convinced that an actress in a film is in fact her sister. Now, there's no shadow of a doubt here at all that Sensor has a solid central performance by Neve Algar, who, as Enid, plays a woman whose life and mental state soon begins to spiral out of control when she takes a personal tragedy tragedy, and mixes it with many of her occupational hazards. Michael Smiley, to mention somebody from the ensemble cast, is an absolute chameleon of an actor. It was only recently on this podcast where I reviewed the film The Toll, in which he plays an enigmatic toll booth operator. In Censor, he plays a total sleazeball, and he's brilliant at both. Now, a lot of people say, Mark Kermode being one of the people who say this, that what you get out of a film is what you take to a film. Initially, coming out of Censor, I was a bit flat. I was a bit, this isn't the film that I expected. Now, bearing that in mind, that's on me because that's me taking a certain thing into this film. Now that I've seen that trailer because that is the first time I've seen that trailer, I think I now expect a different film from what I expected in the first place. So maybe I should go back and give Sensor another watch. Because what I went into Sensor thinking, and all I'd known about Sensor was that all of these horror aficionados really liked it. I expected something a bit gory. I didn't necessarily get that. There are elements of gore in it, but I didn't get it over the top. But now, having seen that trailer, I understand more that what they're trying to do is discuss the mental state. Now, that's obvious by the time you get to the end of the film, having seen it. But for whatever reason, I'd gone in thinking it was going to be something else. So that's on me. But to kind of to wrap this up and to wrap this review up, again, just to kind of reiterate, I brought to censor an expectation of a gore-filled, blood-stained exploitation film, and Sensor isn't that. Yes, there are elements of gore. Yes, there's elements of blood. But it's much more a film 
about capturing the video nasty zeitgeist and responding with a social commentary that although it's 30 years too late would be incredibly captivating to those horror aficionados the historians of the video nasty and the cinephiles who yearn for the productions of the past the thing that creeped me out the most in the film was genuinely being the last person in the cinema in the screen while the score was playing which is creepy and lingering I wasn't necessarily creeped out by anything that I saw in the film. And again, this idea of if that was my expectation, am I wrong to expect that? And do I need to go back and see the film? So what I'm going to say for now is that censor wasn't what I expected, which may mean that I should rewatch it without the biases in mind that I had when I went into it. Right now, if I'm honest, I think it's one of those films that, I can say to you right now, it is well made. Prano Billy Bond knows how to direct a film. She knows how to write a film, as does Anthony Fletcher. It is well acted. It is well put together. It is well executed. But for me, it just wasn't enjoyable. Now, that doesn't mean that if I go back and see it again, knowing what it is, that I'm not going to enjoy it more a second time round. So I am keen now to go back and see it again. And although it wasn't enjoyable for me first time around, I hope it's enjoyable for you. Because the one thing that happens every now and again is you get a film where people absolutely love it. You see five-star reviews everywhere for this film. And there are people who like the way that I'm feeling now and like the way I felt when I came out of the cinema last night having seen it, were a little bit flat and almost expected something more from it. Robbie Collin was very honest in his review when he said that he didn't take as much from it as he thought he would do. So I am intrigued to consider going back to it and and maybe giving it a bit of a reassessment, having come out of it once, seen it and know what to expect. Yeah, so that's a bit of a strange one to end on, but I'm going to end it there. Um, thank you very much for listening to these reviews. If you go out and check out The Night House or you go out and check out Censor, like I probably am going to again, um, let me know what you think at Farron on Film on Twitter. And in the meantime, you can help support us again by following us on Twitter at Farron on Film, by going onto our Facebook page and liking our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Farron on Film, by going over to our sponsor, Offworld Tees, and using the code Farron, that's F-A-R-R-A-N-D, for 15% off your order. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'm going to see you next time.